Good morning, Mutonomics. Um, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I actually don't like Robin Williams. I find I've always found his acting to be just like way over the top and just a little too pleading. Like I always got the sense that he was just a little too desperate for everybody to like him. Um, and come to think of it, I can't think of a single movie um, that I liked him in. Uh, I mean, Patch Adams. The story was kind of cool in Patch Adams. I haven't seen that in 20-some years. Um, but the story was kind of cool. Mrs. Doubtfire always creeped me out. I saw it once as a kid, and I was like, why is that guy dressing like an old ha hag? in order to see his kids like where's just just like figure it out like a normal person weirdo i've got an idea i'll violate the court order impersonate someone steal someone's identity spend hours and hours in makeup every day like that was the thing that, that, that's the thing that like got me with that movie is you know like the behind the scenes every time they do like the behind the scenes on some sort of uh you know crazy makeup job like lord of the rings like oh let's go behind the scenes and see what the orc had to do and they sit in the makeup chair for like nine hours um before they go do like a 30 minute shoot um and they i remember they did that with like the entertainment tonight back in the day with john hart and melissa whoever and John Tesh, I think he was on there. That was the show back in the day. Um, if the batteries were charged up and uh, you could actually turn the old television on every now and then you could catch a catch an episode of Entertainment Tonight. And I remember I don't I remember seeing some behind the scenes thing and it was like Robin Williams spends four to five hours a day in the makeup chair to transform into an old grandma. And I was like so no one connected the dots that said, well, how the heck is he in real life spending five hours a day to do that? Like, where's the time? He'd have to get up at like two in the morning and start the makeup routine. And he'd have to have a professional crew doing the makeup. Oh, no, but he just throws on a little mask. It's so convenient. A mask and a wig and voila. Um, his true identity is hidden. I mean, if that was real, like if you put the timeline of Mrs. Doubtfire into reality, he would look like a Halloween character, like some Kmart blue light special mask. Like, oh, look. Oh, hey, Johnny, you're an old person. You're Freddy Krueger. It looks so realistic. Mask is like hanging off their face with like a two inch gap between their actual skull and cheekbones and where the mask is. <laughs> eyes are all sunken in their shadows so yeah I, I never even as a kid i never bought the uh just that that time conundrum just kind of was like okay whatever not only is this creepy because the guy is 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 stealing someone's identity and violating court orders i think that was the thing i think there was a court order like he maybe it was just a sally field wife request i can't remember um, but I respect my wife so much that I'm going to um, willfully and deliberately deceive her. <laughs> what a terrible movie. Just a horrible movie.
it goes to show the lengths that a loving father will go. Um, maybe you don't be such a deadbeat in the first place. Maybe if you weren't such a deadbeat in the first place, you wouldn't have to dress up like 84-year-old grandma, um, wake up at 2 a.m. to go through your makeup routine and put on some old river clog heels to trick your kids. Um, yeah, that movie stunk. I've never, I've never liked Robin Williams. What other movies was he in? Goodwill Hunting. I liked I liked the story of Goodwill Hunting. But again, Robin Williams, he's just so pleading. He's just like so pleading and desperate. Um he he was like he was like a bearded lumberjack millennial before bearded lumberjack millennials existed. I think that's my problem with him. <laughs> like I think he and, and in fact in Goodwill Hunting he was bearded. Um and he probably wore plaid. The Devil Wore Prada. Um, that's actually kind of a fun movie. Meryl Streep. Merle. Merle. Merle Streep. Um, and Anne Hathaway. Who who plays... It's funny to me how some of these... Well, probably everyone. But Anne Hathaway especially. Every single movie she's ever been in. With the exception of Ocean's 8. She plays the same insecure, unsure... Biting the bottom lip, stammering, insecure. Oh, I just don't know uh, who uh, he. I want to be strong and successful, but I can't because I just don't trust myself, and I always have boy problems. Um. Yeah, talk about a typecast. Holy smokes! I don't care if it's the internship, where she plays like the CEO of some like glam bag company or birch box company and she's like wheeling and dealing in new york with some emo not even a stinking millennial bearded lumberjack husband just some emo waste of space husband um you're so mean gender roles are different now uh whether it's that princess diaries um devil wears prada I think those are the only three movies I've seen her in. And then Ocean's 8, where she actually plays someone who has a little bit of strength. Um, and even then, it's like, kind of like, uh, well, I mean, it was it was thieving strength, ultimately. You ruined the plot. I was waiting to see that. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Um, yeah, the typecasting. Typecasting, like, I guess if you're getting paid, who cares, right? I mean... Give me a role and pay me twenty million a film. I guess I'll I'll play the same role over and over and over again. Jason Statham. You pronounced his name wrong. It's Statham. Uh, I'm trying to think who's a versatile actor. Maybe a little bit of Denzel Washington. He's kind of versatile, but he he always plays the no nonsense. Like, hey man, just gonna get down to earth here. Um, Book of Eli. I liked Book of Eli. He was good in Book of Eli. He was solid, as they say, and I. It took me. It took me a little while, probably longer than most, to realize that he was blind. Um, and then they tied in the whole word of God thing. Um, fire. That movie's fire. And Gary Oldham. He is. He always plays. Well, no, he's he's in Bridge of not Bridge of Spies. Uh, what was that other one? Tinker Taylor Solar Tinker. Tinker, sailor, toddler, tinker, tailor, soldier. 
Maybe that was what it was. Um, that movie was dark, um, but he played a he played an interesting character there. Most of the time, he just plays some unhinged lunatic that's just got deep seated revenge and evil lurking, not even beneath the surface. It's just like exuding from every pore of his body. Uh, that guy can play a villain. Um, interested to see the new Bond because Freddie Mercury is playing the the villain to end Daniel Craig's tenure as 007. Um, I wonder if he's going to break out in song. <laughs> Grab a wireless, cordless 1980s microphone and dance about the stage while he's taunting James Bond. Um, and ultimately giving him time to invoke one of the gadgets that Q gave him. But you know what? It obviously plays. It obviously plays. I mean, ever since Sean Connery took on the role of 007 in Dr. No, uh, apparently the suave or suave uh, secret British agent man um, who has a bevy of tricky gadgets at his disposal to get him out of every possible conundrum. Um, and of course, we could just get into the stupidity of all action movies, why bad guys can fire machine guns. Um, multiple bad guys can fire machine guns in the general vicinity of the hero, and the hero can leap and somersault and do cartwheels and dodge bullets, and then on the fly pull out a single pistol and while he's flying through the air in slow motion before landing on a stuntman's mattress, he can headshot three people. 100% <clears throat> accuracy rate. Um, so yeah, I mean, we could talk about that, but I mean, who wants to? That, that would be who wants to talk about that? It'd be, it would be hard to find examples. I mean, Rambo, every Schwarzenegger film, The Expendables. You watch The Expendables? Those are so grotesque. I mean, you know. Saturday, sitting around, it's rainy. What are you going to do? TNT, running back-to-back-to-back Expendables marathons. Um, although I will say, trying to watch extremely violent movies on network television edits just doesn't make any sense. Like, I've tried to watch Saving Private Ryan on the, uh, like, the edited-for-TV version, and it doesn't make any sense. Like, the beach scene at the beginning, it's like, you, you have no idea what's going on. Because they cut out all of the stuff, so you just see like there's just random weird cuts. It's like listening to a it's like listening to gangsta rap. You can't say gangsta um, on the radio. It's like every fourth word is just like a void of sound because they don't bleep it. It would just get too annoying if they were like beep 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 beep. It would be too annoying. So they just it's just a void of sound. So you're like, what's happening? Is the radio skipping? Is this guy playing it on an old record and it's scratched? Like, I can't figure out what's going on here. I think if you're going to listen to rap music, you just got to listen to the unedited versions. Um, because in a lot of ways, it's it's just, it's poetry. <laughs> Not really. I really do. I was In fact, we were kind of taking a trip down memory lane with some 80s and 90s rap. And it's hilarious to me that 
the focus on 80s and 90s rap by and large was bragging about the size of their marijuana blunts um, and the frequency with which they partook in smoking the hippie lettuce. Um, it was a little bit of bragging about like, you know, hey, I got a big screen like in my basement or, you know, I'm eating filet mignon. Somehow they would, you know, drop like, hey, I've got I've got some money now. Um, but by and large, it was just bragging about slamming f- bottles of 40 and rolling, see, seeing who could roll a bigger blunt. Um, and now it's, you know, now, now it's just mumble rap. Like most of the rap today is just mumble rap. It's like, I, I know that I know that this generation is like so conscious about trying to be cool, but at least enunciate your words. You can't tell people how to be an artist. That's their own take. All right. Well, whatever. All right. So Robin Williams, don't like him. Why was I talking about? Oh, because I started the I started the uh, podcast by plagiarizing his Good Morning Vietnam stuff. Um, yeah, just way too desperate. Just way too desperate. Way too pleading. Way too insecure. Way too. He was the he was the bearded pre-millennial before bearded millennials actually existed. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this story. This story that he actually got he actually got the. Uh, out of prison a year ago, a little over a year ago. Um, Robert Dubois, which reminds me of the Great Race movie, Mrs. Dubois. Um, Tony Curtis, Jack Lemon, Natalie Wood, uh, a few other. There, uh, Tony uh, Tony Curtis's um, the Great Leslie. He played the character the Great Leslie, and his um, right hand man. The dude with the huge mustache, bald with a huge mustache, a little older um, in comparison to Tony Curtis back in the day. Um, he was he was like a character actor. Um, Hezekiah. He was his character was Hezekiah in the Great Race, and he was a character actor. Like he played the dad. He was the evil like um, evil money guy in the the absent-minded professor with flubber. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I w- one of the drives we took from Atlanta, uh, Tampa up to Atlanta, when we were in process of, of relocating, we, we took the, that route numerous times. And so one of the times on the way up, I threw on the iPad. Um, actually, my iPad got stolen by a Lyft customer. That was, that was disappointing. I was so, so in the habit of putting my iPad um underneath like i would just when i wasn't using it i would reach around and slide it underneath the the front passenger seat but in the back um so you know i'd go into a store and i just hey take the ipad and reach around and slide it a reach around what um and i would slide it underneath the the front passenger seat and so my, my muscle memory was so in that mode and so one afternoon kids were at basketball practice and i was like you know what I'm going to be diligent, go to the ant thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise and turn on that Lyft app and go give some rides. So I ended up in kind of hillbilly section of the central Florida area um, and just muscle memory. I just whoop, slid the iPad back underneath the seat. And after giving a couple rides, I got back to the basketball place and went for the iPad and it was gone. And I was like, son of a gun, some stinking Lyft customer just lifted my iPad 
why don't you just buy another one? Um, because I was mad. I was mad. In fact, it had, um, yeah, I, I went on and I knew it was connected to my messages. Um, so I actually bluffed and they didn't bite. I bluffed and uh, because I could message the iPad from my instant messenger. So I, I messaged my iPad and I was like, um, I know where you are because I find my iPad on. So, you know, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt and meet me here, turn it in. Nobody ever showed up. So they probably, knowing professional um, phone thieves and iPad tablet thieves, um, no, I, I don't know any of them, but I'm sure that they just jailbreak it, scrub it, and start it from fresh. I'm sure that there's there's thief there's uh, thievery tools and uh, criminal tools where you can quickly debrick, unlock, um, just jailbreak it, and do whatever you want to it. So probably got sold. He's either they're either using it. Um, you know, to deal meth or something. Oh, you're terrible. Well, if you knew the part of town I picked these people up in, maybe you wouldn't be so judgmental. They're either using it as their supply chain management um, for their illicit drug trafficking, or they just flipped it on, they probably just flipped it on eBay. Um, I don't think they could flip them at pawn shops because I, I um, being the, uh, frequent customer to pawn shops that I am, thanks to my growing up. I mean, my dad's my dad's income growing up largely a, a huge component of it was pawn shops. <laughs> so I got very comfortable in pawn shops. We spent. I mean, I my first memory of a pawn shop was when I was four, and up until I left the house at seventeen, eighteen, um, pawn shops were a, a steady staple in our house and anything and everything would get pawned uh things that i saved up for got pawned i i say i worked all summer you've already told the story you obviously need counseling because you haven't let it go i worked all summer on a hot uh, new mexico summer uh, putting helping put up a fence around like three acre land um digging the post holes every I think it was every, I want to say it was every six feet, every eight feet. Six feet seems a little extreme. It was probably eight feet. I'm looking at my eight-foot desk right now. You have an eight-foot desk? Wow, you've really turned things around. Um, for all you know, it could just be a piece of plywood propped up on a couple used workhorse benches, you know? I mean, all, you, you don't get the visual treat of seeing my my office. How do you know? Um, no, I'm kidding. It is. It is a very nice desk. I have turned things around. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Are you really bragging about a desk? You're humble bragging about the size of your desk. Are you compensating for something? Um, no, dude, my desk is solid. It's a four foot by eight foot steel case industrial desk. This thing, this thing, if we lived in a flood zone, okay, everything else might fl float away, but this desk would still be here. Um, in fact, I, in fact, when I moved it, it, it came in three separate parts. It was so freaking heavy. And when the guy unloaded it, you know, they pull up the truck and it's got like that hydraulic lift that like goes down. It's like, and this thing was like, it was like bouncing on the way down. This thing was so heavy. And he, you tell he's a little ticked off. He's like, who the heck orders a freaking four ton desk for their home office? Come on, bro. You must really be compensating for something. So anyway, after nearly breaking the hydraulic system on the delivery truck, he there's a little lip in our in our 
garage um, and it runs the whole gamut. So we got the one car on one side and then we got two car. You have a three car garage. Now you're really humble bragging. Um, again, maybe it's just a cheap carport that I built out of like one by twos and some corrugated fiberglass. Not, nothing wrong with that. I've seen many, I've seen many a shanty uh, thrown together. <laughs> In fact, I've helped construct as a kid many a shanty. Um, thrown together. In fact, my dad's first shop, man, this thing is all over the place. It's why you listen, people. I know it is. Don't pretend. Don't pretend like you're offended at the rabbit trails. It's why you listen. I know. I know it is because I get 100 emails a week saying, thank you for the rabbit trails. They're amazing. Um, actually, I get more clarifying questions. Hold on. Shanty. I need to write this down because there's about three more rabbit trails I need to go on. Shanty um, question. And shoot, where was I going before this whole shanty debacle? Um, oh, so the question from last week that I didn't answer, somebody said, hey, we're at Muthanomics 45 at the time, but when I look in the iTunes uh, podcast thing, it only shows 20. I can only go back 20. Um, so I made a note to fix that. I think there's some setting in the podcast aggregator where the max post viewable must be set to 20. So I'll go back and fix that. And then you're going to be able to listen to all kinds of previous episodes um, many of which early on, I, I spoke at length about some of the, uh, the difficulties growing up, um, with an alcoholic hippie vagabond father and being knee deep, neck deep, nostril deep in, uh, poverty. All right, I can scratch that up. So the first shanty I remember, um, my dad built a shop and this little A-frame thing, uh, it was probably, couldn't have been any wider than eight feet. Mm, I'm looking at my desk right now. <laughs> using, my, using my eight foot desk as a size reference. E, might have been 10. Might have been 10 feet wide. But he used uh, four, foot, four foot by eight foot styrofoam panels as the wall because they were cheaper than plywood. And instead of doing plywood and insulation like you would normally, like you do the studs, and then, you know, you'd pack those studs every, the, the studs are 18 inches on, on center. And then you pack that with insulation and then you, you know, put the exterior on and siding and whatever, all that was too expensive. So he just threw up very basic A-frame out of some two by fours. Um, and not like a straight A, like it wasn't an upside down V. It was like a, it was like a barn shape. So kind of, the, you know, if you're starting on the left side, looking at it, the left side went up kind of on an angle, maybe six feet high. And then from there, it went at a sharper angle to the right, to the top pitch of the roof. And then it, you know, mirrored that up coming down the other side. And so he threw up the, that particular frame and then he just covered, um, he covered the sides in just these four foot by eight foot styrofoam panels. And that was the wall and insulation at the same time. Now, granted, you couldn't do, like if you accidentally bumped into it, like you had a hole in the wall. <laughs> so over the years, um, there were several patches uh, that were cut and put into that styrofoam because obviously, you know, trying to work in a shop um, with styrofoam walls was, was not the most uh, sturdy of uh, ventures. Um, and then for the roof, he did corrugated, he did the corrugated, uh, kind of like greenhouse old corrugated uh, fiberglass, clear fiberglass, um, so that it would heat. So, you know, in the middle of the summer, that thing was freaking like a, 
uh, stinking peyote smoking Indian TP come to Jesus and, you know, find enlightenment on the brink of passing out from heat exhaustion kind of place. And then in the winter, it, you know, it wasn't bad. In the winter, it wasn't bad. You had the sun coming in and the styrofoam, you know, pretty much kept the heat in, uh, kind of. Um, anyway, that was that was the shanty. So when I talk about um, the the uh, three-car garage being made out of one-by-twos and corrugated uh, fiberglass, I've been down that road. Anyway, so the guy drops off, nearly break his, his hydraulic system, um, and he drops off this massive desk and there's a little lip, like a probably a half inch, three quarter inch lip from the driveway, and then the concrete juts up. And he looked at that, and he, I could tell he was just like, "You got to be kidding me!" So he had the other guy with him, and I even offered, and they were like, "Nah, just stay out of our way, bum." Um, we want to drop this desk off and flee because we're annoyed. So they drop the desk off, and they get the running start. And the driveway has a tiny bit of an incline, like maybe a six inch slope to it from front to back. And so they get this running start and just cram the dolly up over the lip. And they, they have enough speed that it just boom, bounces up over the top. And they slide this thing, this three-piece desk thing off. And uh, so my oldest son and I were like, hey, let's move this thing. And we go to lift it. And we're like, that is impossible. Impossible. How are we going to assemble this thing? So we get our, our, our his brother, um, second oldest son, comes down. And we're like, hey, the three of us are going to have to move this thing because this thing is a doozy. So the three of us barely are able to muscle this desk into the office space, which thankfully was on the same floor. If it was on a different floor, it wouldn't have happened. Um, and how many floors do you have in your house? More than one, less than four. <laughs> I'll give you a second while you get the... um chalkboard out and start crunching that math make sure you carry the one so we bring it in get the two sides up um and if you go google just google steel case four bay desk you'll see the how massive this thing is um and anyway so i go to lift the top to try to get it on and i threw my back out my back was jacked it was jacked um I think that was one of the times I had to go. That's that's one of the first times I started going to the chiropractor up here in Atlanta because I stinking ruined my back trying to lift this desk. I was out. I was on IR for like two weeks. Oh, the good old desk. So, yeah, I was looking at the desk, talking about something that related to eight feet. Um, who knows? Anyway, so there's this story in Tampa of this guy who last year was let out of prison. Um, for being wrongly convicted for a murder of a 19-year-old woman in 1983. Homeboy was in prison for 38 years on death row. I think he was on death row. Um, and then the Innocent Innocence Project, Innoc I think it's the Innocence Project, or maybe the Innocent Project. I think it's Innocence Project. Um, they go around and they just, they just have a team of attorneys dedicated to finding cases that were that were convicted based upon shaky evidence. And as I read through the news stories of the synopsis of this, he was convicted on the, quote, jailhouse informant testimony. 
some guy that was in jail said that he and another dude, um, along with this guy, Dubois. Oh, Dubois. Hilarious. I was talking about the great race, which somehow led me to the desk. And I was talking about Hezekiah being a character actor. Hmm. I don't know how that led to four, four foot by eight foot desk. Whatever. So this Dubois cat, um, he was ratted out, allegedly, by a jailhouse informant who said that the jailhouse informant, another guy in prison, and then this Dubois guy all attacked this 19-year-old woman as she was walking home from work. The Dubois guy raped her, according to the jailhouse informant testimony. And then the three of them, maybe the two jailhouse guys, it was kind of uh, kind of unclear, they beat her to death with a two-by-four. Oh, man, that's terrible. Yeah, it's awful. Awful. So that jailhouse testimony coupled with, quote-unquote, expert bite testimony, I guess after the Ted Bundy thing, I guess Ted Bundy was put away with bite, with a bite testimony. Like there was a bite mark on some on one of his victims, and then they were able to get a warrant for his teeth, and they did a dental implant of his teeth, and then it supposedly matched up perfectly on the on the teeth mark on this lady. Um, and so they convicted him based upon the bite mark evidence. So apparently after that happened, the bite mark became like a craze in in the prosecu prosecutorial space. Um, so there was allegedly a bite mark on this victim um, and they brought in the bite mark expert and they said, oh yeah, those are clearly a bite mark. Well, I was reading about it and the, and the thing I read said that his, his teeth impaired imprint came back at like 29 millimeters wide and the mark on the victim was like 42 43 millimeters wide so even at the time the defense attorneys were calling it junk science they're saying you know the measurements don't even add up anyway whatever based upon the two jailhouse informants and the bite mark this guy got convicted of murder and and, and thrown in prison i think he was on death row um, anyway, he's in prison 38 years, and a couple years ago, the Innocence Project finds his case, and they're like, wait a second, how can, how can a 29, 28, 29 millimeter wide mouth leave a 42, 43 millimeter wide bite mark? Um, so they start digging, and they start looking, and they, they go, and they try to find an old rape kit so that they can do DNA testing on the evidence, and they're told, oh, yeah, you know, we disposed of all that evidence, blah, blah, blah. Well, they keep searching and eventually buried somewhere in Tampa courthouse somewhere. They found uh, some sealed evidence that included a rape kit from this particular case. So they, they took that and they ran the DNA um, on that particular piece of evidence. And it came back that the Dubois, um, Robert Dubois, had zero DNA samples in uh, the particular rape kit that they tested, and in 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 contrast, they the DNA belonged to two individual uh, males. Um, so they went and they tested that against the jailhouse informant and the guy he named the other the two jailhouse people, and the DNA from the rape kit didn't even match the jailhouse informant and the other guy. 
So the conclusion was the jailhouse informant, this other guy, completely fabricated the story for reasons I have no idea. They didn't elaborate. Um, so based on all of that, they they released the guy from prison, and they're now looking for the two people that this DNA matches. And they said that they have some leads and whatever. Um, so he was let out of prison fall of 2020, but just this last week at end of September of 2021, um, he, I guess, so I guess it was what, two weeks ago? Um, no, I'm, the story I'm reading, oh no, this, oh, okay, okay, this was, he sued, that's why, this this happened on the 6th of October. Um, he He's suing the city of Tampa and the prosecutors. Um, so yeah, he's been out for a little over a year, but he just announced a lawsuit and just recently within the last couple of weeks a judge officially exonerated him and removed um, all of the criminal record from his name and history so florida apparently has a law that if you're wrongly incarcerated they float you 50 grand per year that you're in prison so i think he's entitled to like 1.8 1.9 million based upon that law but he is opening up a lawsuit suing for undisclosed damages i'm sure it's going to be in the hundreds of millions um, and part of the reason he's doing that is because the whole 50,000 per year that you're wrongfully incarcerated, like the timeline on that is like, is like eternity. So it's, it's a law in the books, but the red tape and the bureaucracy to actually get at that, at that money, um, is, is, uh, is, has proven to be very slow. Um, so anyway, amazing, terrible story all the way around. I mean, terrible terrible obviously for the victim and her family um and and terrible for this man who you know apparently based upon dna evidence as far as we know uh, what we know about dna testing and and identifying individuals from that uh apparently just terrible for this guy um but interestingly enough he's been the couple interviews i watched with him he's incredibly gracious he said he doesn't have time to be bitter um, because so much life has already passed him by. He missed the death of his dad. He never got married, never had kids. He said he said he's thankful that his mom is still alive, so he's hung out with his mom. Um, said he's never used a computer, never had an iPhone, so he's you know going to be using that, which kind of made me a little suspicious. I was like, never used a computer. I mean, come on. Government is as as backwards and behind the times as some of those you know, bureaucracies can be. I'm sure they at least have some, you know, Pentium, for, Penti, Pentium? Um, Intel Pentium 486 or something to where you can play Pong or Duck Hunt or something. Um, anyway, crazy story, crazy story. I tried to find, I did a little bit of hunting early, early yesterday morning. It's a problem of when you wake up at 3.56. Um, I did some hunting trying to find, like, why was he originally connected to this in the first place? Um, but considering that the internet didn't exist in 1983, it was kind of hard to find any historical documents. Unless I wanted to sign up for some subscription on newspapers.com where I could have, like, scanned through their shoddy low-res black and white microfilm scans of the Tampa Bay Times from 1983, um, which didn't sound like fun at 3.50 in the morning. 
Anyway, wish the best to Robert Dubois, and I, I hope they capture the these scumbags that actually perpetrated the crime. Um, assuming they're still alive, 38 years. Yeah, I mean, he's still alive. I guess they could still be alive. Uh, but just awful, 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 awful. Um, but I, I would, I do want to know. I, I, curiosity, man. I do want to know how he even, how was he attached to it to begin with? Did he know her? Did he live close by to her walking home from work route? Um, like, what's the connection? Like, you, you don't just you don't just say, "Hey, there's a bite mark on the victim," and you know, look around and go, "Ooh, that guy." I mean, um, and and what vendetta did the jailhouse informants have against this guy if for them to fabricate such a terrible, terrible story? Um, so many questions on that front, but whatever. I'm not part of the Innocence Project, but it appears that they're doing, uh, I mean, that's some pretty, pretty amazing work, if you ask me. Um, I'm getting absolutely murdered in my beach body position. Um, my beach body position, I am currently sitting on 31.46% paper losses. <laughs> absolutely hammered um so it's testing uh it's testing actually it's just i just turn it off turn it off and come back a year later maybe you'll be maybe then then you'll turn it on and one day you'll be down 65 (laughs) percent no i just can't um i can't get over the valuation anything any growth company that has price to sales a one to two um, is a good value, at least historically speaking. The last seventy years of the stock market tells you that a growth company with a value between a price to sales between one and two is a good value. And they're currently, I bought them just over two, and now they're like one point six. So they've fallen down into that good value. So maybe I got a little over eager on the front end. Maybe I should have waited for them to fall. But in contrast, I think I've gone over this. Peloton has a price to sales. They had one as high as 34. They've taken a, a bath the last month. Um, and I think their their price sales is in the 20s now. Peloton's the leader. Beachbody has more subscriptions. And yes, you're going to hear me talking to myself to try to convince myself to continue to hold this position. Beachbody has a flywheel. What's a flywheel? Well, other than a wheel constructed out of your common housefly, A flywheel is an approach to business that has multiple revenue entry points, multiple ways um, to to receive money from unsuspecting consumers. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, flywheels, man. They're they're like they're the backbone of a healthy growing business. So they've got a nutrition component. They've got an open fit app component. They've got body on demand component. They've got body interactive component. They've got MYX bike component. So they've got multiple uh, points of entry for unsuspecting consumers to give their money to greedy corporations. Um, So in other words, they're not a one trick pony. Um, In addition to that, they've got the coveted recurring subscription revenue model. And if you haven't noticed, that has played very well for several companies over the last 10 years. Netflix, um, Apple, 
Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's your stock pick for the day. Yada, yada, yada. Go and do likewise. Um, they, got, they, they have a recurring subscription model and their retention rate the last three years on their digital recurring subscription is 94 to 96%, depending on which year you look at. The other little thing that not many people are paying attention to is they actually have more subscribers, assuming they're telling the truth, than Peloton does. So it's just a waiting game at this point. Um, and I'm trying to judge where to dollar cost average down um, because, I mean, dude, I think I've said that they, uh, I was buying their warrants in the 150s. They dipped as low as 110 a couple days ago. And really hard not to buy more, but I also don't want a dollar. I'm content where I'm at with my position. Um, I think it would have to get into the 75 cent-ish range for me to consider uh, adding more just because I'd want to take advantage of the potential drop. Really, I'm sort of in a waiting mode to adding more right now because I'm waiting to see how Evergrande shakes out. I, I my The cynical, jaded... Um, super skittish investor in me thinks that Evergrande, Evergrande, Evergrande is going to, is going to be bigger than what everybody's making it out to be. Um, and you go, well, why would you think that? Well, because that's what stinking elitist financiers do. They, they, they're like stinking illusionists. They, don't look behind the curtain. So they they the last week and a half they're like, oh look, the markets are green. Jump in, dive in, head first, break your neck because there's nothing there, just a hard rock. Um, you can't use those sorts of analogies because it's insensitive to the disabled. I mean, I I could go on off off on another rabbit trail about how everybody's offended at everything, and I'm just gonna say, oh, come on, stop being so soft. Um, so it makes total sense. Like if you're, if you want like an evil, like, like a evil international financier, um, mystery documentary movie, um, sometime down the road starring Christian Bale and Matt Damon, uh, wait, you're just, you're redoing two movies at the same time and smashing the characters together. It would be. The crash of 2021 <laughs> and how they they sort of did this like Doctor Strange. I'm doing a Doctor Strange spinning with my left hand of like, oh, look over here. Everything's green. The markets are green. Everything's fine. Ignore the fact that we're that we're way overpriced and that we haven't touched the 200 day moving average in forever. Longest time ever. Ignore the fact that margin trading is the highest levels it's ever been since 1929. Ignore the fact that Evergrande um, is a hugely indebted real estate company that has several foreign investors linked together. And just look that it's green. Everything's green. Green. And we'll put people on Bloomberg television in the morning. Yesterday, literally yesterday, a hedge fund guy came on and his stance was people were like, well, what do you say for people who say the markets are overheated? And he said, cash is trash. He said that like three or four times during this five minute clip and they put on the screen, so-and-so quotes, cash is trash. 
I was like, okay, there's clearly something afoot here. They're they're trying to convince the masses that cash is trash so that they can sell their securities into the duped dummies in order to get cash themselves. Anyway, this this is the this is the jaded setup that I see um, potentially happening. Um, the wild card, obviously, being the infinite printing press that both China and the U.S. have clearly committed themselves to. Um, but the jaded person in me says, okay, while they're trying to prop up, you know, China's been on holiday for the last week. No announcements about Evergrande other than they've defaulted on two uh, multi-hundred million dollar bo- offshore bond payments. Um, and... They're like, oh, look, just we'll just make everything green. We'll make everything green for two weeks. Just make it green. Everything's green. Cash is trash. Buy the dip. And then once they come off of holiday, they're going to be like, oh, whoops, rug pull. Sucka. And then the whole debt thing just comes cascading down. And before you know it, you know, good old Jimbo in... South Carolina can't pay his uh, employees because he had some contract that was tied to some real estate person who was leveraged to the gills in friggin' Beijing on some Evergrande, you know, futuristic condo development with a lazy river and a 27-hole golf course weaving between. And uh, yeah, so there you go. I, I went from zero to 150 pretty quick there. But because of that, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. And part of me, part of me actually kind of hopes that it does deleverage and deleverage violently. You can't say violent. Apple's algorithms are going to pick up on their speech and flag it. <laughs> I hope, I kind of hope it deleverages swiftly. Um, because we need some freaking resetting. We need some price discovery. I mean, seriously, it's such a fantasy land we're living in. If you look at the bond market, the bond market is screaming equities need to reset. Equities are overpriced. But because of the infinite printing press, equities are like, ha, 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 screw you. We're weekend at Bernie's. We are propped up and we're not going anywhere. We're waving with our sunglasses on on the beach chair um, with a string on our arm. Hello, I'm alive. I'm really dead, but I'm alive. Um, so I hope that I, I kind of hope that it deleverages and deleverages quickly. Um, that would wipe out people's 401ks. You're a monster. You know, this whole idea that you just throw money into a 401k and some like wizard character inflates your wealth over the year. Manage your own freaking crap, dude. Like learn. I'm just going to put it in this because my stockbroker said to. Now that's your that's on you. If you if you can't read the tea leaves and and look at a chart. I'm not even saying you have to look at some complicated chart. Read the freaking tea leaves and and look at the air. It's called air, the space between the current closing price and the little line that denotes the 200-day moving average and you can see that it's a bigger gap now than it was in 19 uh beginning of 2000 beginning of 2000 when the tech bubble popped. So take a little, but we, we're not, we're victim culture. So, oh, I'm a victim. The big, bad, evil financiers, they made my 401k disappear. So I'm gonna sue and demand that I get compensated for my own ignorance. Seriously, man, like, uh, where, where's the self-responsibility? Where, where's the, where is, hey, I took the risk. I made a killing, yay for me, I'm gonna go buy a Benz. 
or hey, I took a risk and I got stinking bent over 10 ways to Tuesday and oh well, learned my lesson. Um, I can't take this victimhood much longer. I just can't take it. Um, and on that note, we're going to transition to flop sweats. <laughs> I, being the um, mature, progressive, dedicated to personal growth individual that I am, um, have been eyeballing from the sidelines, sort of like a creepy stalker, the adult children of alcoholic meetings. Um over the last two years. Oh, what's that? Well, somebody, um, I don't even know. I don't even think it was somebody. I think one day I was just sitting around probably three years ago and I was like, huh, I wonder if there are other people, adults, who, I wonder if there's certain characteristics that, that adults have taken on who grew up as children in a extremely alcoholic environment. Um, so I just Googled like, you know, I think I might have even Googled adult children of alcoholics or something. Anyway, there's a group, adult children of alcoholics, started in 1978, 79, 78, year I was born. Um, and sure enough, this, this group exists. It's psychologists and counselors and all these people, and they've developed over the years um, a set of characteristics that adults take on or are more, more prone to take on. Um, and speaking of personal responsibility, um, I'm, I'm pre-recording this because this Saturday we've uh, got some family in town. It's time. My kids should have been up for school 27 minutes ago, and I don't hear any footsteps on the multiple levels above my head. <laughs> You're bragging about the size of your house. Um, it's not the size of the, it's not the fight in the bark. It's the bark in the fight, something like that. Uh, I don't hear any footsteps, but you know what? I've made it clear to them that they're not toddlers. You're freaking middle school and high school. You can set the alarm and get out and, and, and reap the consequences as you so choose. So apparently they're, they're, they're choosing the, the slothful way of life this morning. Um, but there are so many floors above my head. Maybe I can't even hear them. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so anyway, so this adult children alcoholic, there's a list of, you know, uh, these are traits that, that adults who grew up in an alcoholic environment take on. So I started reading through them and I was like, what the heck? Is, is the NSA freaking spying on me? Is the ACOH, wait, no, that's not right. Adult children of alcohol. Is the ACOA spying on me? Have they been following me around for the last 30 years? 30 years? Yeah, holy smokes. No, almost, almost 30. 25, I've been an adult for 25. Unless you consider growing up at seven because you have to be responsible for the normal everyday functions of a home. <laughs> um, so anyway, I've been eyeballing them and I thought, okay, I, you know, I, I, I go to one of these meetings um, just to see. Just to, just to find some camaraderie because the number one trait among ACOAs is isolationism. And I said, wow, every libertarian must have grown up with a raging alcoholic for a parent. <laughs> you isolationist. Um, and so you couple homeschool, you couple tennis, you couple ACOA, and you equals 
isolationism. Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty pretty. There's there's the isolation slash individualism that's pretty strongly ingrained there. Um, and one of the things that that they say that ACOAs struggle the most with is they, they didn't call it PTSD, like post-traumatic stress disorder. They called it post-traumatic stress symptoms um, because PTSD is really like, um, like, you know, violent wartime, you know, catastrophes and casualties or, or a violent crime or, you know, some sort of unexpected violent accident. Like that's kind of where like top level PTSD is. Um, but the next layer down from that is post-traumatic stress symptoms where when you're placed they called it being in a perpetual um an infinite startle state and when i read that i was like holy smokes that like that that hit home like ding 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 we have a winner congratulations you can move on to the showcase showdown where you get the right to bid on a family-sized air fryer two jet skis and a triple decker bunk bed like some of those showcase showdowns are just so random. It's like, who put that together? Like, are you that desperate for freaking marketing dollars that you were like, yeah, yeah, we can make an air fryer, some jet skis, and a triple-decker bunk bed work. Why not? Why not? Who doesn't want to air fry before they hit the jet skis and then put their three kids to bed? Yikes. Yikes, Drew Carey. Yikes, Bob Barker. Get a little continuity in those showcase showdowns. And then I love how, like, one of them's like, you know, total value, like 3,700 bucks. And then they're like, oh, I'll bid. And they bid. And then the next one's like a 14 day vacation to the French Riviera. Oh, look, it's a brand new private jet. What? No. The person who bid on the stinking bunk bed and air fryer is like, why didn't I pass? <laughs> so the consistency among the showcase, showcase, showcase showdown offerings, coupled with the absolute disparity between the two, just is hilarious. And to see them over there stabbing themselves with the pen, like, why didn't I pass? I got an air fryer and I could have had the French Riviera. Oh, it's hilarious. And then the overbidding, like, you know, the air, some, you can tell the people that are out of touch, they're like, hmm, air fryer, two jet skis and a triple decker bunk bed. So I'm going to bid, um, um, $79,400. And you're like, what is that bunk bed made out of freaking platinum? Um, and then Bob Barker is like, oh, Marianne, why are you saying the Marianne overbid? You're sexist. <laughs> Stuart, oh Stuart, um, let's see, the actual, you bid $79,482 for an air fryer bunk bed and two jet skis. The actual retail value is, ooh, $5,214. You overbid by, oh, it's hilarious to me, hilarious to me. Um, but the benefit of that show is that if you are on the receiving end, like if you're the, the opponent to the overbidder, just bid a buck. Like Marianne or Stewart drops a 75K bid on a triple-decker bunk bed and air fryer and some jet skis. I don't care what you got in yours. Just bid a dollar. You're not going to go over. And you'll win. Um, oh, that show. I haven't watched that show in a while. That show's hilarious. Uh, 
And once again, I'm on a rabbit trail and I don't remember where I'm going. ACOAs. Um, so one of the, the uh, traits was this perpetual startle state, an infinite startle state. And they said that the stressors that come from living on eggshells and the unpredictability and the irrational black and white mood swings and all these things, they, they set you in a perpetual state of startle. And it, when I read that, I said, oh man, that reminds me of what I told my friend in Tampa when I said it felt, it feels like, felt like that my nerves had been on battery acid for the last however long I could remember. So in order to confront that perpetual startle state, um, you have to begin to proactively, I'll say attack because it makes sense to me. I'm very competitive. Proactively attack the sense of helplessness that comes from that. And so they said the surest, the, the, the best way to kind of overcome PTS, post-traumatic stress symptoms, and even post-traumatic stress disorder is to begin to confront and attack the sense of helplessness that comes from that state of like deer in the headlights and shock and perpetual startle. And one of the things that ACOA is big on is this concept of parenting yourself. Wow, this is really touchy-feely new age nonsense. You should just turn to the Lord. Um, and it says that because the abandonment and the, the loneliness and the isolation you felt as a kid when you realized, wow, I don't have any sort of parental figure there to provide stability and comfort and guidance, that contributes, it says it feels like your insides are falling out, and that's another apt description. Um, just feels like your insides are just bleh, they're just falling out. And in order to to deal with that, you tense up and are in a per perpetual startle. Um, but parenting yourself, they said now as an adult, you say, hey, wait a second. Wait a second, internal child. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're going to be reading a puppy with no home. And smoking peyote and teepees with hot coals and steam. Um, no, you say, listen, listen, listen up, internal child. Um, no, everything's going to be fine. You parent yourself now. Hey, you don't need to be in the black and white, uh, wildly vacillating, um, incredibly broad emotional uh, swings. Um, and you don't have to, in, in order to deal with that, the inside's falling out, you don't have to double, triple, and ten-tuple, ten-tuple, <laughs> ten-tuple down on uh, creating some sort of uh, fantasy in order to cope. Um, so you put those three things together, the isolation, the perpetual startle, and then this, this idea that in order to cope as kids, they begin to live in this... Um, ever ever increasing the stakes are ever increasing in this fantasy world that they create and the two most common ones were revenge fantasy um and i'll make no comment other than to ask my wife her opinion on that one um i've cooked up some good ones <laughs> i've got some good revenge playbooks a brewing over the years um and the other one is to fantasize about ever increasingly wildly unrealistic uh, success stories. 
So instead of just, hey, success is getting out of bed on time and going to work and, you know, coming home, spend time with the family. It's like, I'm going to become a 14 trillion gazillionaire. I'm going to own the world. Maybe all these megalomaniacs who are like, you know, captains of finance and captains of industry. Maybe they all grew up with, maybe they're all ACOAs. Flight is now landed. Oh, nice. Okay. Flight tracker. Hopefully the person who was responsible for picking that individual up is actually there. Um, I, hear, I think I hear a shower. It's either a shower or a toilet. Something is happening through the water pipes. So which means that at least someone is stirring. Um, I'm telling you, man, personal responsibility is like, is like the best thing in the world. It's so freeing to say, hey... You know, I'm going to do X, Y, Z, and I'm going to reap A, B, C. If that's good, great. If it's bad, great. Is my choice my my thing? Unless, of course, I mean, it's hard to take personal responsibility when a when a freaking incompetent prosecutorial system stinging throws you behind bars on bite evidence that doesn't even numerically match. What the heck, man? That that guy that guy. I'm just going to be honest. That guy can play the victim card. I mean. Let's, let's, and he's not, surprisingly, he's not. I mean, he's suing for probably hundreds of millions of dollars. 50 grand? Come on. What kind of crappy law is that? Oh, we stole 38 years of your life. Here's 50K a year. What? That's absolute garbage. You should flip that around and be like, yo, the, the bonehead who signed off on this mathematically incorrect. It wasn't like it was... His teeth were 28 millimeters and the bite mark was 29. 28 millimeters to 43 millimeters? Like what? Did the guy like go? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Was it like Hulk hands where his jaw like got bigger and turned green? I mean, it doesn't make any freaking sense. That they should say, you know what? No, 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 sir. You, the you expert testimony guy, now you have to go spend 38 years behind bars. I mean, maybe that's called an eye for an eye. I don't know. But 50 grand, come on, people. That guy, that they, they should throw that guy the freaking, just open up, just open up the checkbook and say, you know what, just name, name a number. Um, that's, that's annoying to me. Um, but I, I, I do want to find out why he was even attacked. Why was he implicated in the first place? What's the backstory? Like I said, you don't just, you don't just look around and go, oh, that guy's got teeth. I mean... It just there's got to be there's got to be something there. Maybe I will sign up for that newspapers.com just to find out like what was the connection. Which for some reason reminds me of Chuck Woolery and the Love Connection. Um, wow, you're really going back in time. Well, you know what? When you're when you're five years old at home alone at night by yourself because your mom's working the night shift and you have no clue where your old man is. Um, hey, you become well acquainted with Johnny Carson and Chuck Woolery. <laughs> and you you're exposed to some chuck woolery late night uh innuendos um at the fresh young age of five man that show was amazing sometimes they were like really into each other and other times they just like one person was like completely head over heels and the other person was like you're disgusting you have the plague. It wasn't even like you have cooties. It was like, you've got bubonic plague. Stay away from me, you disgusting, disgusting, disgusting lizard person. And then sometimes it was just kind of blah. It was like, meh, whatever. We went to a disco and uh, 
he started trying to dance like John Travolta, and I was just morbidly embarrassed and left. Um, Chuck Woolery. Chuck. The Chuckster. Um, the Chuckster and Johnny Carson. We were we were friends. We were friends back in the day. From the ripe, the young, young age of five all the way up through. I'm trying to remember. Yeah. Flagstaff, yeah, yeah. Sedona, no. He was wearing a trailer. Devoid of modern amenities. Kingman, same. Prescott, rental house. Yeah. Chuck Woolery and Johnny Carson. Cave Creek Apartment? I don't really remember. Tucson, yes. And then, who knows, after that, it was like camper all over the place. And... There was nothing other than just loneliness and wind whistling through juniper bushes. <laughs> wow, you really do need to go to this ACOA group. So anyway, you put those three together. The isolation, the startle flinch, and the uh, and the confronting attack into helplessness um, by parenting yourself. Makes a lot of sense to me. And if you're judgy, and don't understand that, well, go get an alcoholic parent and then come back and talk to me. Just go, you know, hey, go on Craigslist, seeking someone to be my parent who's a raging drunk, and then we'll talk. Um, so I was like, you know what? I found the meeting. I found the coordinator. I texted, hey, where's the meeting at? She sent me the address. Meets this time, this place, this day. So I, it was 30 minutes away. So I get in the car. All right, I'm going to go. Drive up. Pull in the parking lot. And it's at a Presbyterian church, which started the first round of flop sweats. <laughs> so I pull in the parking lot, find where the meeting was. It's next to the it's next to the merry-go-round by the playground. You'll see the open door. So I went and I parked and I watched and I started watching these people walk in. Two bearded millennial guys walk in. I was like, and and what do I do? I instantly start getting super judgy. I was like, look at those bums. I don't want to go to a meeting with a bunch of fat, friggin' bearded, platted millennials. Um, and so the second round of flop sweat started. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, three minutes till the meeting started. I don't know if I can do this. So I back out, and I'm like, oh, I'll just go park in a different spot and stalk the door from a different angle, like the psychopath that I am. <laughs> so I sit there for five, ten minutes, and I watch other people walk in. And there's like, you know... Middle-aged women, 45 to 65, you know, 65 now is middle-aged. 65 is the new 40. Come on. Um, they're walking in, and I'm like, oh, man, do I really want to get wrapped around the axle with, like, emotional middle-aged women? You really are a sexist pig. Um, I didn't want to get wrapped around the axle with millennial bearded fatties either. I mean, come on. I just, I don't like emotions. Let's just, can we just say that? Just state that. I want to be devoid of all emotion. Um, if I could be data from Star Trek, I would be happy. Lord, give me the strength to change the things that I can change. And please let artificial intelligence come along so that I can have an upgrade. <laughs> wow, you really do need to go to this meeting. So anyway, I sit there and I'm like, you know what? I don't know. I don't feel like going in and opening myself up to a bunch of random strangers, which... One of the other main characteristics was like instant defense mechanisms, like layers and layers of shields and like, Captain, shields up, red alert, red alert. 
fire the photons. So I would have gone in with shields up, just lobbing photon torpedoes at just unsuspecting millennials and middle-aged women. So what did I do? Well, like any good isolationist um, homeschooler, I went online and I searched for books on the topic. And sure enough, I found two books on adult children of alcoholic groups. One was what to expect when you're expecting. Um, <laughs> pretty, <laughs> wasn't exactly called that, but it was pretty much like, hey, you think about going to one of these groups? Read this and it'll give you an, it'll give you an insight into what it is like. Um, and then I read it, I ordered another book, which was about the history of the group and their main tenants and all this stuff. So, um, so I ordered those, said, you know what? I drove 30 minutes, at least I took that step, and I ordered some books so that I can go home and be a homeschooler and teach myself. Um, and I knew it was funny, I came home and I knew it was going to be a lose-lose. I knew it was a lose-lose even before I went because I knew inside of me that if I went to the meeting, I'd be berating myself on the way home for opening myself up, i.e. being vulnerable. Blech. Yak, vomit, I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. Mm. Yep, that's that That's that grilled teriyaki chicken from last night. Um, you should read Brene Brown. You're going to make leaps and bounds of growth when you just decide to be vulnerable. Um, so I knew that I'd be beating myself up for that. Oh, you know, stupid dummy. You know, why, why, are, you, why are you opening yourself up to wounds again? Keep those shields up, Captain Picard. Um, and on the other hand, I knew that if I went and I actually didn't go through with it, because of three progressively uh, increasingly intense rounds of flop sweats um, that I would be beating myself up on the way home for being a coward. And sure enough, both of those were exactly how I thought they would go. <laughs> so I spent the 30 minutes there on the front end of that. Oh man, I can't believe I'm you know going to go in here and be open myself up to a bunch of random strangers. Um and then on the way back, it was, you coward, you freaking coward, major pain would be bearing you up to the neck in mud right now and singing something about me being his little Brussels sprout. But I did order the two books and I did drive there. So go pound sand, you judgmental CSer. Oh, you can't say that. Um, You don't even know what that stands for, unless you do, in which case, well, more power to you. So... Uh, from that, I conclude that um, in my personal opinion, um, I believe that everyone should be able to point out on a map the Iraqs and the equator and the Saudi Arabias. Um, so I had some good conversations with the the old, uh, I'm not even going to say the old lady. She's not an old lady. She's my awesome, awesome, wonderful wife slash best friend. Um, so we had some good conversations, some good insight, and... I'm going to read the books. I'm going to read the books and go from there. I'm not going to commit myself to anything more than uh, reading the books and going from there. So we shall see. We shall see. Hopefully Beachbody turns around on me at some point because I'm actually I'm getting absolutely slaughtered. But I do hope that there is a violent deleveraging of the stock market. Um, not so that people can lose their 401ks, but so that we can have price discovery. And so that I can load the boat on a beach body at like, dude, if I could, in fact, I had a dream. I think I mentioned last time that I was hoping that I could get them at 50 cents. I had a dream that I bought beach body warrants at 10 cents a pop. 
um, I would literally be backing the money truck up to the brokerage. Just take it, take it all, take it all. Pawn shop, I'll pawn everything. I'll pawn this four by eight desk. Just give me Beachbody warrants at 10 cents. Um, go big or go home, um, which I'm sure, I'm sure several, several uh, vigor-filled, dream-filled brokers said in 1920. Maybe even in 1930, I'm buying the dip, baby. Until the dip was not the dip, and the dip became you know four times bigger, and then they became the dip as they plummeted from stone-constructed uh, Manhattan sky rises in quotes because was it really a sky rise back in the day when it was 12 stories high for them it was for us it's kind of like and oh, that's just a modern apartment who's texting me now oh the lineup for saturday which i which i um i bailed from i needed a break and we've got family in town so i was like you know what i'm gonna be a good family person what is up with our team man last week we defaulted two lines because we didn't have enough players this week we're defaulting two lines i mean what the the heck how are we supposed to win when we're when we're starting off down 0-2 that means we have to sweep all three matches this is embarrassing come on guys get it together i've been there for the majority of matches now i've, I've played in th three so after this week i'll have played in three and missed two so i don't know i'm batting a little bit better than 50 a little bit better than 50 percent um yeah i think that does it for the podcast enjoy your Saturday. And uh, hour and 13 minutes, kids have nine minutes to leave school, and I don't hear a lot of footsteps, so we're going to go up there and see if we can figure this thing out. Talk at you later. Peace.